Bibles to Luke chapter 17, if you have those with you today. Some of my uh, favorite memories as a kid were the times I had uh, opportunity to spend with my grandpa Krause, my mom's dad. Uh, my grandpa Krause lived north of Green Bay, Wisconsin, and I used to spend a lot of time with him as a kid, especially in the summertime. Uh, he, was, uh, he owned a hardware store, an HWI hardware store, and a construction company. And so, I mean, there was always adventures to be had, you know, hanging around his, uh, his construction yard. And, but, uh, you know, my grandpa, he taught me the, the three great loves of my life. He, uh, he taught me to love the Green Bay Packers. He taught me to love the game of golf. And uh, he taught me to love Jesus. And uh, I'll be eternally grateful for all those lessons that, uh, that I learned from my grandpa Krause. Uh, you know, some of my best memories, though, from hanging out with my grandpa are the times that I had as a kid growing up playing golf with my grandpa. Uh, I used to love looking forward to those, you know, trips back to see my grandparents because I knew that uh, my grandpa would take my brother and I out golfing whenever we were uh, with him. He loved golf, and he, w- he was a terrible golfer. I mean, he, he was seriously, he was a total hacker, but he just loved the game of golf. And, uh, in fact, he would have fit in with many of the guys in our Lakes Free Golf League. He would have been, you know, fit right in. But, uh, but, you know, it, I love playing golf with my grandpa, and it wasn't just about the golf. It was the lessons I learned as we walked around the course together. You know, it, it, it was so awesome because every time we would go out golfing, you know, you're walking the course, and, and you're just talking life. And, and those lessons change, you know, as I grew up. You know, when you're a little boy, 10 years old, 12 years old, you know, the lessons are, you know, on one level. And, and then as you grow up and become more of a man, we're, we're talking about, you know, real-life things. And I learned a lot from my grandpa, a lot, a lot about business, a lot about uh, politics and economics and, and, and faith, what it meant to be a man of God, what it meant to be a faithful husband and a father. And, and uh, I just, I treasure those memories. And, and there's nothing like a good walk with a trusted advisor, a trusted friend, or, or a relative to, to really just encourage you and to invest in your life. And I'm sure all of us have stories like that where people in our lives that we used to just enjoy spending time with, whether it was on the golf course or walking through the woods or sitting in a fishing boat. And, uh, and it's those life lessons that you learn on those walks that are really so meaningful. Well, today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus is going to teach his disciples some walking lessons. Uh, if you recall, Jesus and his disciples are making their way to Jerusalem. They are set towards Jerusalem, headed towards the Passover, Good Friday, Easter. We're going to be celebrating those great holidays here in a few short weeks together. But Jesus and his disciples are making their way to Jerusalem, and all along the way, I I, I just want you to picture what we're we're seeing here as we're studying the book of Luke in the last few uh, chapters. Jesus and his disciples, they're walking down the road together, and and the crowds are growing. They're following Jesus because they're, they're seeing the miracles. They're hearing the great teaching. And so the crowds are coming alongside Jesus and, and he and his disciples are walking and as they're walking, Jesus is sharing lessons with them, teaching them what does it mean to be a follower of God. And, and all along this journey, we get to be a part of these incredible teachings from our master. Well, the last few weeks that we've been in the book of Luke, Jesus has been speaking specifically to the Pharisees. Remember, Jesus not only had these crowds of followers who were enthralled with his teaching, but he also had critics. And, and these Pharisees, were these, these were the religious leaders of the day. And, and they couldn't believe what Jesus was teaching people. 
Like, like, it can't be this easy to get into the kingdom of God. And so they were being overly critical about the, the grace that Jesus was extending people. And Jesus was basically saying, no, it is this easy to get into the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is available to anybody who's willing to come and embrace a relationship with me. It's not about rules and regulations and duties and requirements. It's about putting your hope and trust in God's one and only Son. And Jesus was extending this gracious invitation to all people, and they were flocking to him, and the religious authorities couldn't deal with it. And so for the last few weeks, we've been in Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 16, and in those stories and passages that we've been looking at, Jesus has been speaking specifically to the Pharisees, addressing their challenges, addressing their concerns, and and trying to teach them the truth about what the kingdom of God is really all about. But now here in verse chapter 17, Jesus is going to change course and he is going to teach and speak specifically to his disciples. So now we're going to be getting an opportunity to, to listen in on a, an in-house conversation between Jesus and those closest to him, his disciples, as they're walking down the road together. Jesus is going to share these walking lessons. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it look like to be a disciple? That's what we're going to see today in these 10 verses in Luke chapter 17. Now, this is an interesting passage. Most scholars think that what we have here in this passage are actually a collection of a few different teachings that that Luke just sort of lumped together into one section for us. So so it's not like this in real life was one just continuous conversation. I mean, imagine what's going on, right? Jesus and his disciples, they're walking from town to town, village to village, you know, one hour here, two hours there. And, And as they're talking, they're talking about a whole host of things. And so what Luke has done for us, especially in this particular chat passage, what Luke has done for us is he's condensed four, ti- four teachings of Christ and put them into the essential absolutes that we need to know in terms of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, now these aren't the exhaustive list of, of the marks of a disciple. Like, like the New Testament has a whole bunch of teachings related to discipleship. But what we're going to see today is a picture of four key characteristics of the follower of Jesus, four, uh, four marks of a disciple's walk. These were really basically four little sermonettes, if you will, that Luke combined into one chunk of teaching. Well, let's take a look at the passage, Luke 17, 1 through 10. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink? Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. 
four little sermonettes here in this passage that Luke puts together into one section for us to look at. And what I want to highlight for us this morning are what we see four marks of a disciple's walk here in these 10 verses. Four marks of a disciple's walk. The first thing that Luke highlights for us from Jesus' teaching here is that a disciple is to be constantly careful. A disciple is to be constantly careful, verses 1 through 3. Here in, here in these two, three verses, Jesus begins his walking lessons to his disciples with one of the most serious teachings he gives his disciples anywhere in the Gospels. This is a, this is a very serious passage of Scripture. Jesus starts out, he says, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. Friends, Jesus had no illusions about the world we live in. He understood that this was a fallen, sinful world. This world has been corrupted by the reality of sin, this spiritual disease that has infected every aspect of creation. And, and Jesus understood that all of us are sinners. And, and, and not only do we wrestle with our own sin nature and, and the worldly system, the fallen worldly system outside, but we also have an enemy, the devil, who prowls around, First Peter tells us, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so Jesus knew, he said, look at things that cause people to sin are bound to come. You should expect this, right? He, he, he wasn't setting his disciples up to think that they were going to create some kind of utopia on earth. All right, that's not going to happen. At least not until Jesus returns and, and does that for us. But, but Jesus said to his disciples, look, you can expect things that cause people to sin, that cause people to stumble. They're bound to come. This phrase here, things that cause people to sin, it's interesting. In the Greek, that's actually just one word. What we translate into five words in the Greek is just one word. It's the Greek word scandalon. And the Greek word scandalon is where we get our English word scandal from. And in Greek, the, the word scandalon literally meant, to an obs, meant, referred to an obstacle or something that gets in a person's way, a stumbling block. And so what Jesus is talking about here are barriers to a right relationship with God. He says, look, we live in a fallen world. These barriers to a right relationship with God are bound to come. At the same time, though, Jesus gives his disciples a warning. He says, we have a responsibility to make sure that we aren't contributing to leading others into sin. We need to make sure that we're not the ones erecting these barriers, causing people to sin and stumble. Jesus says, don't cause these little ones to sin. Now, when we read that phrase, little ones, here in this passage, I think most of us, our minds immediately go to children, right? We're not to cause these little children to fall into sin. And, and this passage certainly refers to little children, but Jesus is talking about more than just little children here. When, when Jesus uses the term little ones, he's actually referring to all believers. Jesus, in many places throughout the Gospels, referred to his followers as little ones. In other words, children of our Heavenly Father. We are all little ones in the eyes of God. And so Jesus is not just talking about kids here. He's talking about you and me, followers of Jesus. He's also talking about lost people, seekers, people who don't know Jesus, who are watching us, watching our lives. And Jesus is saying, look, be careful that you don't put a stumbling block in anybody's path that might cause any of these little ones to fall into sin. Jesus calls us here to be stepping stones and not stumbling blocks. Friends, did you know that you have those two options in your life? 
how you live your life, how you, how you act, what you speak, your attitude, your demeanor, right? You have the opportunity to either be a stepping stone leading somebody closer to the Lord, helping them grow in their walk with the Lord, or you can actually put a stumbling block in a person's path through your life, through your words, through your lifestyle and actions, which actually erects a barrier keeping them away from Jesus. What what do you want to be, friends? Do you want to be a stepping stone leading people to Christ or a stumbling block leading people away, erecting a barrier, keeping them away? This is Jesus' point here in this passage. He says to his disciples, so watch yourselves. And friends, all of us as followers of Jesus, we have to be constantly careful. We must watch ourselves, Jesus says. And I would argue that that watching of ourselves includes three primary areas of our lives. We need to watch ourselves, number one, in our beliefs. In other words, how do we speak about God? What are the truths that we convey to others about the God that we worship? Are we professing truth about God, or are we professing error, or maybe even outright heresy? Like, what are we teaching people about the one true God who has revealed himself in Scripture? That's absolutely fundamentally critical. Number two, our lifestyle, right? How do we honor God? How do we honor God in the way that we live? Are we, are we serving as a stepping stone through our lifestyle or a stumbling block keeping people from knowing Christ? You know, here's an interesting question to ask yourself this morning. If you were to go home after church and go and take a survey of your neighbors, or maybe tomorrow morning at work, take a survey of your coworkers, and just ask them the question, who would you say I worship from your observations of my lifestyle? Who or what would you say is my God based on what you've observed in my life? (laughs) That's an interesting question, right? What would those people say? Your family? Your career? Money? Sports? Your hobby? Right? You understand, friends, how we live, our lifestyle matters. Does our lifestyle point people to Jesus or is our lifestyle setting up barriers, stumbling blocks that keep people from actually coming to know Jesus? Thirdly, what about our attitude? Right? It's not just our beliefs and our lifestyle, but what about our attitude? How are we reflecting God to the world? Are we projecting as Jesus' disciples when we go out into our communities, are we projecting an, an air of self-righteous judgmentalism, legalism, right? Or are we portraying God's grace and, and overflowing with his love and compassion for lost people? Right? Are we going to be stepping stones or stumbling blocks? This is a, a crucially important question. And I want you to notice, friends, out of these three areas, all three of these areas work in concert with one another, don't they, right? Right? You can't just have right beliefs about God and then live like hell the rest of your life, right? You can have all the right theology, but if your lifestyle doesn't match up what you claim to believe, you're going to end up being a stumbling block to people. I, I, I was heartbroken this past week. I I read online about one of the leading Christian apologists in our nation today, a guy by the name of Larry Taunton. He's the president of an organization called the Fixed Point Foundation. For the last 10 years, they have hosted debates in universities around the world with some of the leading Christian apologists and and atheists, people like Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens. 
And they've had a huge impact all over the world, sharing the gospel and defending the truth of Christianity. But just this past week, I was saddened to learn that Larry Taunton resigned from his ministry, admitting to an adulterous relationship. Not just with one woman, but with two young women who work on his staff at his Christian ministry. You should have seen the comments on Twitter. You can find them if you like. The atheists, the skeptics, the critics of Christianity mocking Larry Taunton. What a hypocrite. So much for your Jesus. You claim you're so righteous and yet you're not any better than any of us. How many people has this man's lifestyle caused to fall into sin now? How many people have stumbled over his lack of integrity, his witness, or lack thereof? See, friends, this is why Jesus tells us we need to watch ourselves. Because our lifestyle matters, our attitude matters, our beliefs matter. All of these things matter in how we represent Jesus Christ as we go into the world as his ambassadors. Jesus gives us this dire warning. He says, look, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and to be thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Man, that's serious business. Like, look, you're better off dead. You're better off being thrown into the ocean before you cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. Woe to you, Jesus says. Friends, you know what a millstone is? A millstone is a half-ton rock that they used to use in the ancient world to grind grain. They would tie a donkey up to one side of it, and the donkey would wheel this wheel around and crush the grain. Jesus says, look, if you're going to cause somebody to stumble, to fall into sin, it would be better off for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the ocean. Woe is you, Jesus says. And watch, I want you to know something. If you read the passage closely, the woe isn't the millstone. The woe isn't the millstone. In other words, there's something even worse facing these people in eternal judgment than even a millstone being tied around their neck and being thrown into the ocean. Jesus says, woe to you who would cause one of these little ones to stumble. This is serious business, friends. Now understand this. We don't all have the influence of a guy like Larry Taunton, but we all do have influence. We have influence in our families, with our children, our grandchildren. We have influence in our neighborhoods. We have influence with our coworkers. Friends, how we live and represent Jesus really matters. And so again, the question that each of us has to ask ourselves this morning, am I a stumbling block or am I a stepping stone? Lord, help us. Jesus, help us. Help us not to be stumbling blocks for anyone. But let us be stepping stones that point people to you. The second mark of a disciple that Jesus shares with us in this passage this morning, he says that his disciples are to be persistently pardoning. Persistently pardoning. Verse 3, Jesus says, If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. 
Jesus begins this sermonette by telling his disciples that they are to rebuke a sinful brother or sister. Look, if you see a brother or sister living a life of sin, causing others to stumble, right? You are to go as their brother or sister to that person in love, and you are to rebuke them in the name of Jesus. Now, friends, this can be a hard thing to do, especially in our postmodern culture where one of the primary models of the day is, who are you to judge? Right? How many of you have ever heard that before? Who are you to judge? I remember when I was in seminary, I had a dear friend, I'll use the name Paul. I discovered that my friend Paul was having a relationship with his girlfriend that was dishonoring to the Lord. He was engaged in a sexual relationship with his girlfriend. And so as his brother, I went to Paul and I went to him in love and I just said, Paul, you know what? This is dishonoring to Jesus. This isn't what God has called you to do. This isn't the way God has called you to live your life. I said, Paul, you need to repent. You need to end this right now and get your life right with Christ. Get your life right with your girlfriend and start walking faithfully again. You want to know what my friend Paul said? Who are you to judge me? And then he quoted Matthew 7, verse 1. He says, don't you know Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged? Have you ever heard somebody use that defense before? Who are you to judge? Jesus says, don't judge, or you too will be judged. Friends, that's one of the most misapplied verses in the entire Bible. Here in verse 3 in our passage today, we see that Jesus clearly didn't mean that a Christian should never judge sin in a brother's or sister's life. No, in fact, we are called to rebuke sin when we see it, and that requires judgment. The key, however, is that we are to rebuke out of a spirit of love and humility with the hope of correcting our wayward brother or sister and never out of a spirit of hypocritical, self-righteous judgmentalism. That's the point of Jesus here. That's the point of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. We rebuke sin when we see it, but not self-righteously, not hypocritically. We do it out of a spirit of humility and love. Friends, our motivation in rebuke should never be about hurting or embarrassing our brother or sister or puffing ourselves up with pride, but our rebuke should be about encouraging the sinner to repent and to restore them into a right relationship with the Lord. Look what the Apostle Paul says about this in Galatians 6, verse 1. Paul says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Gently. And then if the sinner does repent, we are to forgive them. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And that's the key here, friends. We're called to forgive just as Jesus Christ has forgiven us. In a parallel passage to the one we're in today, Matthew 18, the apostle Peter comes to Jesus. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. 77 times? Are you serious? 
You mean I'm supposed to forgive somebody who sins against me 77 times? Some translations say seven times 77, right? right. I mean, what? Who does that? Does God really expect us to forgive so extravagantly, so lavishly? Absolutely he does. And why? Because that is how he has forgiven us. Friends, I hit 77 against the Lord this week, like on Wednesday morning. You know what I'm saying? All of us are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all stumble in our walk with the Lord. And you know what? When we turn to Christ with a repentant heart, when we grieve over our sin and we come back to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness, you want to know where you're going to find him? You're going to find him right there waiting with open arms. Because that's our God. I mean, remember what we looked at just three weeks ago, Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son and the faithful father? That is our God. When a lost person caught in sin, caught in rebellion, recognizes their depravity and turns back to the Lord in repentance, they will always find Jesus waiting with open arms, ready to welcome them and receive them with his warm embrace. Because our God is a God of love, and he's a God of grace, and a God of forgiveness. And so when Jesus calls us to forgive others 77 times, that's the least that we could do. Because Jesus has so greatly forgiven us. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is there somebody in your life today that you need to forgive? Maybe there's someone in your life who's apologized Maybe they committed some offense and, and they've asked your forgiveness, but, but maybe you're here this morning and you've been holding a grudge against them. Maybe today is the day that God is calling you to forgive. You see, friends, Jesus calls us to be people who forgive because God is a God who forgives. And he's forgiven us so very much. Lord, help us. Help us to be people who forgive like you. The third mark of a disciple's walk that Jesus shares with his followers, he says that a disciple is to be unfailingly faithful. Not faithful, unfailingly faithful. We are to be full of faith. The disciples say to Jesus in verse 5, increase our faith. In other words, Lord, if we're going to be called to forgive like you, if we're going to be called to walk in your ways, we need help, Jesus. Lord, increase our faith. Friends, how many of you have ever prayed a prayer like that before? Right? Jesus, increase my faith. Now, friends, the disciples here are demonstrating a common misconception that, that many of us fall into. It's a misconception that I've been guilty of many times myself. And it's the misconception that it's the amount of faith or the size of our faith that makes the difference. And so many of us pray like the disciples, you know, Lord, only if I, if I only just had more faith, Jesus, increase my faith. And what is Jesus' answer to this plea from his disciples? Jesus' answer in verse 6, he says, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Jesus says, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, do you know how big a mustard seed is? A mustard seed, you can hold it in your fingertips. 
Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, a tree that grew to be 500 years old with a huge, thick, embedded root system, you can say, be uprooted and thrown into the sea. And it will do it if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. See, friends, the point of this illustration that Jesus shares with us, he, he's saying, look, all you have to have is faith. You don't need more faith. You just need to put the faith that you have into practice. See, friends, here's what you need to understand when it comes to the walk of faith. We don't need great faith. We need faith in a great God. You understand that? You don't need any more than a mustard seed. You just need faith in a great God. And if you know who our God is, our sovereign God, the king of the universe, you don't need an increase in your faith. You just need to have a right view of who our God is. Theologian N.T. Wright, he says this about faith. He says, faith is like a window through which you can see something. And what matters is not whether the window is six inches high or six feet high. What matters is the God that your faith is looking out on. If it's the creator, if it's the God of the universe, the God active in Jesus and the Holy Spirit, then the tiniest little peephole of a window will give you access to a power like you've never dreamed of. Friends, all you need is a tiny glimpse of our good and great and sovereign God. And that's all the faith you need. Now here's the deal. While all of this is true, there's another important point that you need to understand in regard to Jesus' teaching here about this mulberry tree. Okay, Friends, this isn't a promise that our faith will give us supernatural abilities. Okay, Please understand that. There are a lot of people in our world con men in our world, con men in the church, teaching people that very thing today. This isn't a promise of supernatural abilities. And it's not a promise that your prayers are always going to be answered when and how you ask for them. What it is, though, it's a promise that a faithful life, a life that hopes in God, will open the door to God's supernatural faithfulness to us. Let me tell you a story about a missionary named J.W. Tucker. In 1964, J.W. Tucker felt the Lord calling him to go into the Congo jungles to reach an unreached people group known as the Mangidu tribe. J.W. Tucker prayed to the Lord, and God just impressed this on his heart, and so J.W. Tucker just prayed, Lord, if you're calling me to go, I'm going to go. I'm going to step out in faith to reach these people, the Mangidu people, who didn't know the gospel. They were trapped in paganism and idolatry. J.W. Tucker told his missionary colleagues, I'm feeling the Lord's calling me to go into the jungle to reach the Mangidu people. One of his best friends, a missionary colleague, he says to J.W. Tucker, he says, you know, if you go into the jungle, you're likely never going to come out. J.W. Tucker said, the Lord didn't tell me I had to come out. He just told me I had to go in. And so he prayed with great faith, asking the Lord to do miraculous things, asking the Lord to to bring the gospel to the Mangidu people. And J.W. Tucker went into the jungle. 
Two weeks later, his missionary colleagues received a report that J.W. Tucker had been captured by Congolese rebels. They tortured him for hours with broken glass bottles. And then they threw his body still alive into the crocodile-infested Bomokande River where he was torn apart by crocodiles. So much for your faith, J.W. So much for your prayers being answered. So much for that mulberry tree thing being thrown into the sea. Where was God? Where was God answering those prayers of faith? 30 years went by. And it seemed that J.W. Tucker's life had been wasted. It was all for nothing. 30 years later, though, the king of the Mangidu people, he appealed to the Congolese government for help. They were experiencing civil unrest amongst their tribes, and he asked the Congolese government to send somebody to help them. The Congolese government sent a man that the people came to call the brigadier. He was a police officer. And he had been led to the Lord two weeks before J.W. Tucker's death by J.W. Tucker, before he had gone into the jungles. The brigadier went into the Mangudu people, and he went in and began to share the gospel with him, but the gospel at first began to fall on deaf ears. But then the brigadier discovered that the Mangudu people had a tradition. They had a tradition that said, if the blood of any man flows in the Bomakande River, you must listen to that man's message. And so the brigadier shared with the village elders one afternoon, he said, I've learned about your tradition. And I want to tell you about a man whose blood flows in your Bomakande River. Thirty years ago, your people threw him to the crocodiles. And today, his blood flows in your river. And he came to tell you about our Creator God, who loved you so very much that he sent his Son into this world to die for your sins so that you could have a right relationship with him. The Mangudu elders all gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Today, there are over 12 dozen churches in the Mangudu region. Thousands and thousands of Christians have come to Christ out of the Mangudu people, all because the blood of J.W. Tucker flows in the Bomakande River. Friends, God always answers the prayer of faith. He honors his faithful people. And our faith can absolutely move mulberry trees because God is a faithful God. Make no mistake about it, God always honors the faith of his people and he always answers the prayer of faith. And again, God might not always answer our prayers of faith in the way we want or in the timing we'd like, but let me assure you, the prayer of faith never falls on deaf ears. Because God is a faithful God. And in his sovereign timing and wisdom, God answers every prayer of faith. So trust him, friends. Hope in him. Be a faithful disciple. Lastly, the fourth mark of a disciple that we see in our passage this morning, Jesus says that we are to be devotedly dutiful. 
Constantly careful, persistently pardoning, unfailingly faithful, and devotedly. You like how I did that? I spent a lot of time on that this week. That's pretty good, huh? Devotedly dutiful. In verses 7 through 10, Jesus compares the walk of a disciple to a faithful servant who gives his all for his master. Diligently, without grumbling, without any expectation of reward. And friends, what Jesus wants us to take away from this short parable is that just like a faithful servant, a true disciple of Jesus obeys the Lord and serves him simply out of obedience and for the joy of serving their master. The last few years I've had the opportunity to go out and do some pheasant hunting with our friend Kevin Furcus. Some of you guys know Kevin from our church. He's one of our ushers here on Sunday mornings. Kevin has a dog named Abby. Abby's a Brittany Spaniel. And you should see this dog. I mean, this is a, she is an incredible bird dog. I mean, she will run through the fields and the forests and the snowbanks nonstop for hours and hours. She just goes and goes and goes. She's got these little six-inch legs. I mean, she takes 100 steps for every one of mine, and she just never gets tired. And she never complains. She never lays down. She never whimpers. She just goes and goes and goes. She serves out of loyalty and faithfulness and duty to her master. Kevin's not out there throwing her milk bones. She just goes and goes and goes because her reward is the joy of her service. And you want to know something, friends? She has an even deeper motivation for her service. The deeper motivation for her service, she serves because she knows her master loves her. Friends, let me ask you this morning, do you know the master's love for you? Do you know Jesus' love for you? You see, friends, a disciple of Jesus, our motivation for serving him it shouldn't stem out of a hope for some reward, some, some pat on the back, some, some great treat from our king. Our reward, friends, should be nothing more than, than a simple desire to honor the one who so radically loved us that he literally gave everything to free us from our debt to sin and to restore us to wholeness in him. John, in 1 John 4, verse 10, he says, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, what greater motivation do we need to do our duty to honor our Lord? What could Jesus ever ask of you that would be too great a request that you wouldn't gladly leap into service? When you understand what Jesus has done for you, our response is nothing but joyful, dutiful service out of a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving for what our master has done. What an honor it is to serve King Jesus, friends. Do you know that honor? Friends, if you don't know the joy of serving King Jesus, I don't know if you really know who my Jesus is. Because I'll tell you something, friends, if you know my Jesus... 
the God who loved us so much that he broke into human history. He left his throne of glory in the heaven, uh, heavenlies and came into our broken, depraved world, was tortured, laid his life down on a cross, bore his blood, shed his blood for our sins. He did all of that out of his love for us. And and Jesus, what would you ask me that is too great for me to repay you with just nothing but dutiful devotion? God, help me to know you so much. Help me to know your son so well and grow so close to him that, that anything you ask, Jesus, the answer would be absolutely, I'm in. See, that's the heart of a disciple. They know their master. They know their master's love. And they know the honor it is to serve King Jesus. Friends, would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all you've done for us. And we thank you for the great privilege that we have to be your disciples. Nothing that we've earned, nothing that we deserve, but God, in your great love for us, you have invited us into this relationship with you. You've given us the ability to be freed of our sins, to experience new life in Jesus Christ. And then, as if that wasn't enough, Jesus, you invite us to join you in this incredible mission of changing the world, sharing the hope of the good news of the gospel with lost people, living for something so much more than just the the shallow desires of this world. But you have given us this great purpose, Lord. God, help us to embrace this mission. Help us to embrace our relationship with you out of joyfulness, gratitude, love, thanksgiving. And Lord, may we be people who serve you dutifully without any expectation of reward. May our reward be the joy of serving King Jesus alone. God, help us. Help us to be careful in our walk. Help us to be people of faith, Lord. Help us to be stepping stones for others, not stumbling blocks. Jesus, the walk of a disciple isn't always easy, but you promise to be with us every step of the way. And so we are going to hope in you and we are going to trust in you and we are going to rely on your strength and your empowerment. And God, we just ask, Lord, that you would bless us and that we would see miracles take place as we walk faithfully with you, serving you with dutiful devotion. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.